So it's good to uh, see you all back. So, so we're going on through Acts and we are coming up to Acts chapter 5. And uh, it's about uh, sin and failure. And we're all, uh, all pretty accustomed to sin and failure. So we're going to uh, have our, our church and then um, have the, uh, the bread and the juice and then going to have the, uh, the KFC. And by the way, just to remind you, on Saturday, this Saturday the 9th, there is the garden party, alcohol-free garden party at our place. So you're very, uh, you're very welcome, everyone, to that. So let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you because we love you and we yeah. seek you and we yeah. seek your face yeah. and we love your word yeah. and we love your son yeah. and we pray that you will open our eyes to your word, to your son and to ourselves and that we might be encouraged and comforted and warned and that we might grow and become more on fire for you and for your son and that you will work with us and through us as you did all those years ago in the days of the Acts of the Apostles. We pray that we might be the first century church, as it were, here in Croydon in the 21st century. Please do help us, Father, and guide us in this. To your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, whenever things seem to be going well, then there's always a mess up. Remember, you open the Bible, you start reading, oh, beautiful creation, there's Adam and Eve walking around in the Garden of Eden and it's all lovely. And then what happens? There's a mess up. Sin comes in. People fall in love, have great relationship. Ah, there's a mess up. Same here in the, the early church. Oh yeah, they're all baptised. Jesus has risen from the dead. Oh, it's all wonderful. Yeah, they're all full of faith. And uh, yeah. And then there's a, a but. You see chapter 5 verse 1, but... And I'm afraid this is human nature. In the bigger picture of things, this is how the human experience is. It's two steps back and three steps forward. I'm afraid that's how it is. Uh, and any, any pretense that, you know, life is awesome and uh, how are you? Oh, awesome. Oh, it's all wonderful. It, yes, uh, but we should be realists. And life is two steps back and three forward. It is. That's how it is. And this, that's how it is. Uh, and we, we need to accept that and be realistic. So, but a certain man named Ananias was Sapphira, his wife sold a possession, and with his wife's knowledge kept back part of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now the context of this is that in the last chapter we've read that people were so convicted by the reality that, of the fact that Jesus had died and risen again, uh, that they, they sold what they had and put their money in a common pot and gave it out to the poor. And there was a, a man called Barnabas, who was a, a Levite, that is from the tribe of Levi, and he owned some land on the island of Cyprus. And he sold it very publicly and gave all the money to the apostles. And where that was sort of significant was that Levites were not supposed to own land. If you're from the tribe of Levi, from the priestly tribe, they weren't allowed to own land under the law of Moses. But they thought they could be smart by owning land on Cyprus, because it wasn't technically in Israel. It was an island just off the coast of Israel, as it were, in the Mediterranean. But he realizes that uh, you can't just uh, be clever, clever with God. And he says, no, 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 I, I, you, you've got to be real. No, no, I'm selling that. 
And he gives the money to the apostles and puts it at their feet and they distribute it to the poor. And of course everybody thought, oh, what a good bloke. So Ananias and Sapphira see this and they imagine in their hearts, ooh, how good would it look if that was us, if we sold something and gave the money publicly in front of everybody, wouldn't we look just smart? Wouldn't everyone say, oh, aren't they a nice couple? Isn't he a good man? Aren't they generous? Oh, how good of them. You know? And there's a, a big human desire to be thought well of. So that's what they did. They sold something that they had, but they brought part of the money. It's like, let's say, selling a house for 500000 uh, and yet you bring 400000 and say, yeah, this is what I've got 400 for it, and here's the money. You know? When actually you've got 500 for it. So, they kept back part of it. I imagine that the, the bit that they kept back was not very much, because otherwise it wouldn't have been credible. You know? If they'd have sold it for 500 and brought just 100,000 and given it to the apostles, people would have thought, nah, but your house is worth more than 100. Your house is worth more like 500. And you only give, you say you sold it for 100, I doubt it. So to make the lie or the deception look credible, uh, I don't think they kept back very much. They might have sold it for 500 and they came and gave 400 and said, oh yeah, we gave, we're given everything. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your power? How is it that you've conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You've not lied to men, but to God. And that's the thing, that whatever we do in this world to people, you actually do to God. Now, that's, that's quite something. Because people think, ah, well, you know, if I treat someone else in this way or that way, well, you know, God doesn't see. You see, in the day of judgment, <coughs> the Lord Jesus is going to come and say, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. And the people are going to say, oh, what do you mean? I never saw you hungry, I never saw you thirsty. But the point is, as he's going to then explain all too late to those people, what you did to people is what you did to him. Because he is, as it were, manifest in people. Your attitude to, for example, your brother in the Lord is your attitude to God. That's why the Apostle John says you cannot say you love God when you hate your brother. That is not possible. Uh, because your attitude to your brother is your attitude to God. You can't sit in your flat and have this wonderful relationship with God and, ah, yeah, and stuff everybody else. I hate everybody else. Hate him, hate her, hate them. Ah, but I am very pious in my relationship with God. No, no, it's not how it goes. So, when people talk about being out of church Christians, well, I, I hear them all right, yeah. I hear you, but actually, you can't just walk in life with the Lord Jesus and with God. Actually, the involvement of other people in your life is part of what it is to be a Christian. And so, he says, you didn't lie so much as to us, but you lied to God, and you lied to the Holy Spirit. 
And he said, why? Why has Satan filled your heart? Like, why did you do this? And he says, how is it? How did you conceive this thing in your heart? Well, trying to work through that, um, the sin was conceived in the heart or in the mind of Ananias and Sapphira. Sin is conceived inside us. Now, when a woman conceives a child, it begins inside her. Okay? So, they saw Barnabas getting praised for having sold his land on Cyprus, and they think, oh, oh, oh yeah, wouldn't it be great to just be praised like that? They conceived it in their heart. But the parallel is, but Satan filled your heart. So I suggest that the Satan, the adversary, the biggest enemy that we have is actually our own heart and our own self-talk. Thinking, ah, I wonder what it, yeah, I bet it would feel really cool to do that or to be seen as this or to be seen as that. You can see it in people when they, they, they buy a car, maybe a flash car that is actually beyond what they can afford because they are thinking in their head, ah, how cool it would be if I go round to uh, my friend's house and I've got this Mercedes and I've got this BMW or whatever. You see, that this is what it is to be a Christian, to be aware of the games that your own heart, your own mind plays. This is where we need God's Holy Spirit. We need His mind in our mind, His heart in our heart. That is the essence of what it is to be a Christian. When He says... Why did you do this? How did you do that? There is no recorded answer. Unless you read the Bible, you need to ask the question, well, what should he have said? What should he have done? Well, he should have said, why did I do that? How come I did that? You know what, Peter? You're right. I lied because I was proud and because I wanted to look good. But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He says nothing. And so he dies. But he was given the opportunity right at the end to repent. That's why Peter says, why did you do this? How come you did this? Even at the very last moments of the guy's life, he could have repented. But he didn't. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down dead and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. Well... You, you may think, well, I don't know, this is pretty tough of God. Because, you know, as God says here through Peter, when you sold it, it was still yours. You could say, yeah, well, actually it was God's. Yes and no. It was God's, it is, everything is God's. The cattle on a thousand hills are God's. Yes, that's right. But in another sense, he has delegated that to us. He has delegated that 20 quid note to you. That is in your back pocket. And that is yours, in a sense. And it is your freedom as to how you use that. Buy a spliff with it, give it away, whatever. It's up to you. And so there's a sort of balance there, because Peter says to him, that property was yours. And even when you sold it, the money was yours. But you shouldn't have lied. And as I say, you think, well, wait a minute. Peter says it was yours before you gave it to God. But you think, well, wasn't it God's anyway? Yes. 
and no. Yes, in that, sure, everything does belong to God. No, in the sense that God delegates to us. This is yours. It's all yours. It is for you to now exercise your free will. No matter, not just talking about money, about anything. It can be life, it can be health, it can be relationships, it can be anything, not just cash, not just money. And it is ours from God to use, and it's over to us. Now, I'll come back to the question, but isn't God being a bit tough here? Yeah, these, if these people had said, ah, yeah, no, I'm not going to sell my house and give it to the poor, fair enough. Uh, they did sell it, and they gave most of it to the poor, but they just exaggerated. And I said the exaggeration was probably not that great to make it credible. You know, uh, We sold our house for 400 and we are giving it to the church. All of it. Well, actually, you sold it for 500. As I say, I don't think they'd have said, oh, we sold our house for 100,000 and we're giving it to the church. Because people would have said, ah, no, your house is worth at least 500. So the, the amount they kept back was probably not great. Oh, you did that, you're dead. And this is one of those times in the Bible where, yeah, God does appear to be uh, a bit heavy-handed, as we might think. Especially when, as you read the Bible, you see that people sin and they sin and they sin and they sin and God apparently does nothing. And the wicked prosper. People get away with murder, literally. You read the Bible, you know, people get away with murder. David commits adultery, kills, murders uh, the husband of the girl he slept with, even though he had a load of other wives, and he doesn't die. And you think, well, that's a bit... (laughs) If God sort of lets people off really big things, isn't this a bit kind kind of hard? And here's how I see it. As you read through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation... You see, generally, God full of grace, full of patience, full of pity, full of mercy. He does not punish us, we're told, according as our iniquities deserve. He's very gentle. He doesn't punish us uh, as we should be punished. He he forgives us. Even when we don't repent, he has pity on us and sort of lets it go anyway. But every now and again, boom, boom. Bum, bum. studied throughout the history of God with man in the Bible there are sometimes these moments where God acts very harshly, apparently here somebody gives a load of money to God but they actually slightly exaggerate it oh bang, you're dead another example is when David is bringing the ark to Jerusalem and he puts it on a, on a cart and the oxen stumble, and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant, this gold box, looks like it's about to slip off. And this guy reaches out his hand and touches it. Yeah. Zap, you're dead. You touch the Ark of the Covenant. You're, you're finished, mate. Now that, now that is, again, God being very tough. Even with the whole thing with Adam and Eve, you know, God says you can eat all the fruit of the trees, but don't eat that one. Well, the serpent says, oh, no, you can. And she says, oh, really? Okay, so let's eat it. And you know what happened here? Bang. Oh, you, and, and, yeah. You think, yeah, okay, God's right. That's bad, you know? God's right, not wrong. But um, seems a bit tough. 
And here you've got another example. Just every now and again in the Bible, you get this. Another thing where there's an old prophet who's told to go and criticize a, a wicked king, and he does, and God says, go that way and uh, give judgment on this prophet, but do not return uh, by the way that you came. Return another way. And don't eat or drink anything. Well, there's another prophet who thinks, oh, I'd love to have this old prophet around in my house. He comes and says, I'll come back to my place and eat and drink. And the prophet says, no, I can't because God told me I mustn't go back that way and I mustn't eat or drink. Oh, no, he said, no, no, I've had a word from the Lord. You're allowed to. Really? Yeah. So he comes back to the other prophet's place, eats and drinks, gets up to go home, and a lion comes and kills him. You think, well, bless him, old guy, he did kind of what he was supposed to do, but okay, the other guy said, I've had a word from the Lord. Actually, it wasn't a word from the Lord, he was lying. You think, well, that's a bit, that's a bit tight, isn't it? That's a bit strict. Well, you see, why is it like this? It is to show us that despite this complete grace of God, this pretty well endless patience and pity towards man, despite all that, the wages of sin is death. And no matter how far you cross the line, be it by one millimetre or by ten miles, you have crossed the line. And that is what one of the words for sin means, to cross a line. Whether you cross, as I say, by one millimetre or by ten k's, doesn't make any difference, in, in one sense. The wages of sin is death. And yes, we, God is very patient, and we don't die. We've all sinned, right? But we didn't die. We're still alive, our heart's still beating, we're still here, although we should be dead. Now, I think God occasionally puts these incidents into the Bible, and this is one of them, to just nudge, nudge, remind us that although I am extremely gracious and very patient, do you know that demands a lot from me? Because every time I see sin, I know you should die. And we are, in a sense, like spoiled kids, because we sin like water. We sin left, right, centre. God doesn't kill us. We think, ah, oh, yeah, God's all right with it. Ah, oh, yeah, he doesn't mind. Oh, my mate Jim, he sins, and oh, my, my friend Donna, she sins, and all that. Ah, oh, yeah, it's all, it's all okay. But it's not like that. It is absolutely not like that. When God sees us sin, it hurts him, and he feels that need to punish us, that you know, we should die, because the wage of sin is death. But you see hear how you know, God wants to remind us, through the Bible every now and again, that yeah, this is how I feel, although the vast majority of the time I am very patient, very gracious etc, so God's grace to us, God's patience, God's pity is not because he is kind of on autopilot he's not on autopilot he feels sin as an actual real offence that hurts him. You see it in relationships. You may have man and woman and like she really hurts him all the time by what she says about a certain thing. She may mock his weight, for example, or his appearance in some way. And he's very patient with her and he's very gracious and he doesn't say anything. Doesn't signal to her that you're hurting me, you're upsetting me. 
And so she thinks, oh yeah, he doesn't really, he doesn't, he doesn't take any notice, he's just how he is, he doesn't care, he doesn't take me seriously when I talk about that matter. But he actually does. He actually does. And every now and again, he may make that point. And you see, this is how it is with God and us. And this gives us a bit of kind of perspective on what happened on the cross, of why it was in God's plan and purpose required that his son died in the way that he did to deal with sin, to deal with our sin. Now, if you've got no sense of sin, and you've got no sense of the seriousness of sin, then you will not see the wonder of the cross. You hear the words, oh, Christ died for our sins. Jesus died for your sins. And you think, yeah, <clears throat> yeah and so what? He died for my sins. He died for my sins. But so what? And when I was a student at uni, <clears throat> there was, by the embankment underground station near Charing Cross, uh, a bit of graffiti written, I suppose, by an overzealous evangelical that said, Jesus is the answer, in very big painted letters. And some smart aleck then wrote underneath it, but what's the question? And I, I get it, yeah. If you're not a believer, some fellas go, ah, Jesus is the answer. Yeah, but what's the problem anyway? And so when we talk, we talk about, you know, Jesus died for our sins, isn't it wonderful? If you have no sense of sin and its yeah. importance, yeah. well, that's not good news for you. But if you get it, that the wage of sin is death. And in this example of Ananias and Sapphira, you see it that just, you know, between the commas, just one sin leads to huge punishment, death, anger of God. Well, then it, it becomes more meaningful to you when you read words like, we are saved from wrath, God's wrath, through him. Then you see that this is good news. If you're arrogant and up yourself and think that, well, I don't do anything wrong, it's all their fault, it's all the government's fault, it's all her fault, it was the fault of my parents, it was the fault of my ex, and uh, uh, this, that, and the other, blaming everybody else. Sure. For what, you know, where is the wonder for you that the Lord Jesus died for you? No wonder at all. Um, and so this is why the gospel, in that sense, the good news of the Lord Jesus and his death, is for the humble. It's for the humble. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, that's not the issue. The issue is whether you're humble. Yeah, that's right. Because if you are humble and you think, yeah, look, I haven't lived the right life, I haven't been the right person and I'm still very weak, and I still don't live as I should. Ah, oh, thanks, Alex. <clears throat> and I still don't do as I should, and I still, I'm still worthy of death. Wow, you know? Then, how wonderful, that the weight of sin is taken away. The weight of sin is no more. It's all dealt with in Jesus. That's why we break bread. That's why we take the bread as a symbol of his body and the cup as the symbol of his blood. To remember it. Why would you want to do that unless it's something worth remembering? Well, for us, it's wonderful good news that all my sin 
Big things, little things. One millimeter over the line or, or ten miles over the line. Whatever. It's all dealt with. Whether you are a mass murderer or someone who apparently made a bit of a, bit of a mess up in, in your relationships uh, 20 years ago or whatever it might be, um, it's all the same. It's, it's, it's all the same. All the same. It deserves death, but that has been lifted. That has been dealt with. So, the bread represents his body. So it is in that sense that we have something to celebrate. Something to thank God for. Something to be deeply grateful for. Yes. Rather than just, you know, going through life without any sense of gratitude, without any sense of wonder yeah. at God's grace. Yeah. So, let's, um, let's just give thanks for what these things represent. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, through the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your provision for us, for this bread that represents the Lord's body, the cup that represents his blood. We thank you that he died for me, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, that he died for me, that despite my sin I might live forever, that I might be saved. And we bow before you. We bow and kneel, as it were, at the cross of Calvary. And we thank you with all our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the multiple buckets of KFC are still on their way. But before they come, let's, uh, let's just give thanks for the, uh, for the food. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your provision for us, above all in your Son, but also looking out for us materially, giving us food, health, enough to be here today. Please help us and bless us, Father. Through Jesus. Amen.